The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The, the views, views and, opinions and opinions of this show, of this show do, do not constitute not. recommendations for therapy. Please contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? Communication is life. Essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to the Speech Science Podcast, episode number 175. I'm Matt Hott, an SLP working in the schools, middle school, and with adults in dementia and stroke rehab, joined by the PTSD SLP herself, Rachel Arshambo. Hi there. Hi, Rachel. I love trying to say PTSD SLP because I just love it's not alliteration. What is that when you're when you're, you're saying just it like that? Spelling out the letters. Right. It's but a lot it of sounds that have E at the end yeah, of it. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. And that other voice you hear is our early childhood expert in the great state of Texas, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. Rachel. Rachel, it is a wonderful week. I want to hear how your week has been. But first, I want to hear from the listeners. Make sure you email us in speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or visit us online at speechsciencepodcast.com. You can also join the Discord. Uh, the Discord's been kind of quiet during the summertime. It doesn't get a whole lot of traction. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think people check out. I mean, it's the, especially if you work in schools there's uh, a chance, especially that first month after you're well, out of a school school year. For those of you that do a podcast, you understand the numbers side. For those of us on the other side, we barely understand the numbers. But during the summer, I do notice that our listening time and our downloads uh, decrease by about 20 to 25%. I completely understand that because mm -hmm. I was someone who listened to podcasts on my commute and my commute is nothing right now. So I don't typically listen to podcasts. <laughs> and I also feel that people put some boundaries that, mm -hmm. you know, I work 10 months out of the year. I'm going to do speech stuff during that time. And now you cannot pay me to think about speech. And I think that's fair. So we'll see you when, when you come back. Have you ever found everyone a... commuting to clinics and hospitals? Keep listening. Yeah, keep yes. listening. <laughs> tell your friends, tell yeah. two other people like, and share that helps us <laughs> climb the rankings uh have you guys ever found a podcast like three years after it started yes. i i first heard of cereal uh, a bit Ooh, late that's a good I one. Was, that, that was my example i was that, a couple years behind on cereal that was the first podcast i ever listened to and i loved it i loved it so this week i found parks and Re uh, recollection and it's Rob Lowe and one of the series writers, and they're just going through Parks and Rec episode by episode and talking about it. And this week they start uh, season four with the uh, Rob Lowe's no longer on the show. It's the guy that played Gary, Larry, Jerry, 
third gitch. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't, but I'm right now in the middle of uh, season two and I'm oh, trying to fun. catch up. Well, I'll catch up and watch that because Parks and Rec is my favorite show. And I actually was just quoting yesterday. Um, a few of us ha- actually, unfortunately, had food poisoning. And I was thinking about the episode that Rob, <laughs> Rob Lowe is looking into the mirror and he just goes, stop pooping. It's like my favorite <laughs> line. <laughs> I, I just learned that there's, I think that's a, a trend, though, that people are doing these recaps yep. about mm-hmm. TV series as podcasts. Cause I just saw it pop up. A friend of mine shared with me about the always sunny um, podcast. Yes. That's out now with the yeah. cast of the always sunny show. And I, I, I loved watching it's always sunny for years, especially through grad school. <laughs> HBO does HBO does a decent podcast for their big shows uh, like Chernobyl, uh, yes. Game of Thrones. What is the one they're doing? I don't know now. I'm not watching any. Oh, Succession. Succession. Sorry, yes. yeah, that one had a big podcast as well. So I, I think that it's a new market that these shows mm-hmm. are tapping into. And I think I, I would love to read an article about how it got started, but I can remember Chicks in the Office of um, oh, yeah. the women from the office. There's two of them that came back to talk about it and they started from season one. And I think there's a ton of shows like Laguna Beach is going back and oh, talking about that. So I think there's a, a market. Throwback. Yeah, there's a market for it. You know who's been in the market for seven years? This show. Seven now. I mean, I guess I, that I, makes sense. I, so I joined we're on a couple, season seven. So yeah. yeah, but I joined a couple of years into it, and I was pregnant with my son who just oh, turned yeah, five right. yesterday. So happy I, birthday! There you go. Five and a half years for me, but wow. Yeah, seven years, uh, and it's only taken me uh, seven years of this podcast to uh, use it to strong arm myself back into radio. So if you're in the Cincinnati area, you can listen to me on Inhaler Radio, uh, Inhaler.com. I've got the Saturday 11 to 3 shifts now. <laughs> I am I back on air. I have another job. It's free, so it's a volunteer. <laughs> another but It's not a job. job. I don't get paid for it. So that is the big news on my side, other than spending uh, the night in the hospital with a Ooh. sick, dehydrated two-year-old who is doing well. Rachel, how are you? How was your week? Uh, It was terrifying, uh, but uh, she was a rock star and Children's Hospital Cincinnati are rock stars, but she's now back up terrorizing the household. So it's like children do. uh, It's like nothing has happened. The rest of us are still mentally and financially recovering. (laughs) She has already moved on. Rachel, how's your week been? Doing okay. Like I said, recovering from some sort of stomach bug, food poisoning kind of thing. And uh, 4th of July was yesterday from the day that we're recording. And I was taking care of my dog who is supposed to help me with my PTSD, but he's got PTSD from the fireworks. So um, yeah, it's just relaxing. I was supposed to have a summer job, uh, but the summer job didn't work. Um, So I'll probably be starting that at the beginning of the school year, but I'm taking advantage of resting I have been watching a lot of TV. I just watched Rings of Power on Amazon and I'm a big Lord of the Rings nerd Mm. and it was fantastic. Fantastic. Is there a podcast for that? There should be. There might be. I'm going to go look. I'm going to go look. (laughs) Rings of Power podcast. I was looking it up. says, oh. Is there? Yeah, the Lord of the Rings Rings of Power official podcast. Ooh. 
go deeper I, into the canals of Numenor, the mines of Khazad Doom, the halls of Linden. This all sounds made up. Yeah, it actually is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Awesome. Well, I'm glad. Well, I'm not glad you're you're sick, but I'm glad you are taking time to recover, doing the complete opposite of me and filling every every moment with something to do. I'm glad you are doing nothing. Thank you. Thank you. That is but doing something. That is doing something. Michelle, how are you? Uh, we're doing well in Texas. I the I guess two big things for us this week. Um, my son just turned five on the 4th of July and, um, his big request was a burger cause he loves burgers. We always let the <laughs> birthday person pick the meal, the dinner for that. Oh, that's that a good day. idea. Um, and so we went to in and out and got milkshakes and burgers cause we have one here. So a lot of people don't know they're in Texas too. Um, trying to challenge the Whataburger world. So, um, and then <laughs> If anyone in Texas is going to get that, <laughs> everyone else is probably thinking, yeah. It's um, our family's big news is we adopted a dog last week. I Yay! saw the photos. Yeah. So her name is Ginny and she is a three or four year old um, retriever. Great Pyrenees mix is the, is the guess. So it's funny that, her name is Ginny. So that's always been my nickname because my doppelganger is Ginny from Harry Potter. Yes. And I have oh. an actual, I have a side by side of us that I actually put it as my Facebook picture when I was in college I think or you grad shared this school. With Halloween, right? Probably that my dad commented on it, like looking good, baby, something like that. And I was like, Dad, that's not me. That's Ginny that's from Harry me. Potter. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. so funny. Yeah. So what made you, what made you go get the puppers? Um, oh, we've talked about getting a dog for years at this point, but, um, uh, they posted about her on the local shelter page and I sent it to my husband and we went to visit her and the next day we were bringing her home. So the big thing was she met our kids and we have two young kids, um, a two-year-old and a now five-year-old. And she was so chill and calm. Um, with all those interactions and she has kind of just molded right into our home. So um, the biggest thing is she likes air conditioning and tile floor. And I get it because it's Texas and we are all, what's it? We're all Ginny. We're all Ginny. And she has a lot of fur. Let us lay on the tile floor. (laughs) I love it. Well, I'm glad that Ginny is now part of the family. Yep. Thanks. Aw. On today's show, we're going to check in with Asha, as well as looking at a new research study on modified barium swallows, the effects of having research available to you, and also, what are the teachers saying behind your back? But before we do that, we've also got the due process and the SS Pod shout-out. The SS Pod shout-out is your opportunity at home to send us a message to recognize someone or something doing something awesome. Is that a sentence that makes sense? Someone or something doing something awesome in the field of speech therapy. Hey, uh, this one goes out to the crews of SLP Toolkit and SLP Now because it's the SLP Summit happening. When is it, uh, Rachel? July 17th? Yes, July 17th to July 20th. Just around the corner. 
So seven free hours of CEUs. I believe there's only about a $20, $25 fee if you want them to report it to ASHA. My laziness pays those $20 to $25 fees every time because I know I'll take these courses and then never report them and never get the credit. I pay it too, and it's just something that is for me to keep it mm-hmm. off my mind. Um, it keeps but it off my plate. Yep. I can exactly. Guess. Exactly. So I'm, if sure. you're, you're free to just do it for free and get these seven hours. And also you don't have to attend it live. That is an option, Ooh, but you better. can also watch the recordings. I think for two weeks after the, the last day of the 20th, I think you can watch it up to two weeks after. So that's, that's an option great, for you. You can yeah. still get the full seven, even if totally. you can't watch it. Yep. Hey, and then you can also get your uh, ASHA, what's it called? When you get 30 credit hours? The ACE award? Yeah, this is like... I think it's 70. 70. No, is it? I think it's 70. You So Ooh. it's 70 in a 36-month period, you get an ACE award. Ah, uh, all right. Well, this is one-tenth of your way. <laughs> to your ASHA ACE award it is equivalent to 70 contact hours there it is uh but no i love that four days seven hours practical pd for slps listen i use slp toolkit actively during the school year it is one of the greatest data collection tools i have ever used and if you've been with the show for the seven years i have trialed like 10 different data tracking softwares over the last 12 years as a therapist and I've stuck with SLP Toolkit and they don't pay me. I pay them to use it. Mm-hmm. But their hashtag PD in your pajamas. Listen, it was right there. PD in your PJs. I'm just saying PD in your PJs. Not Matt, the marketing wizard. I, right. I like the I like the PD in your PJs. I think that. I'm the marketing mm-hmm. wizard that does a free podcast for people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side of the SS pod shout out is the SS pod due process. And of course, for the summit, we'll have the link uh, in the the show notes. So the due process is your opportunity to send us a note and we bring it to public forum and we discuss. Sometimes it's good. Most of the time it's bad. Today uh, is just a question. It comes from Jaylene, who sent an email over to speechsciencepodcast.gmail.com. Uh, she says, I'm going to start seeing students and wanted uh, students privately and wanted to identify what a good rate to charge would be. Ooh. That's a tough question. Mm-hmm. And I would did say, she say that where she's located. She did not. Right. I mean, so, I could email her back and we'll find out in three days. But So I would say that it depends <laughs> on the where she's located. I, I think it also depends on experience, um, not lowballing yourself um but seeing what others charge in the area and for your setting and making an educated guess in that way i I i'm with you with that i think it's um it involves market research right and (laughs) and that for me setting my prices when and I've only seeing a couple of patients right now privately, but, um, and I know I need to raise my rates as well, but right. my thought was out the gate. This is what I'm going to start with. And it was based on what I knew some of the reimbursement rates locally were for even yep. insurance and what copays were so that I could be competitive with some of that. Um, and then also kind of looking at 
socioeconomic status and what populations are you working with because you don't want to price yourself mm-hmm. out of what people can truly budget for. Um, but I, my biggest recommendation would be join some of the Facebook groups or other groups where you can ask those questions because you can connect with other people who are in your state or region. And um, I I know that you may run into people who don't want to share those things because mm-hmm. of the but for the most part, the people I've reached out to or connected with um, aren't directly right in my market area. So they can help me kind of gauge what the region is, if that makes I- sense. Or if you have I a was different specialty, say, you can yes. you can focus on that. Mm-hmm. Like talk to somebody in a different specialty than you, because then you can become a referral source to each other too. Ooh, great idea. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say salary transparency is a huge aspect of that because there's many people in the community who won't share how much they're making, but then mm-hmm. get mad when a CF goes online and says they're charging $300 an hour. And they're like, that's more than I've been making 20 years. And it's like, well, how is she supposed to know that when no one is telling her how much she's supposed to make? Or on the flip so. side, when they go, oh, some CF is going to take this $12 exactly. an hour job. Mm-hmm. Right. So the other way around. Yep. Funny story on private practice stuff. I have a, a patient that I've seen off and on for years. And when I first started seeing the patient, they said, what's your going rate? And I said, oh, it's $50 a session. A session is about 30 to 45 minutes. And they were like, huh. I thought you were going to charge me an hour or a hundred dollars an hour. Uh, that is too cheap. I'm going to pay you $75 a session. And I was like, I will take the hundred you thought. And they were <laughs> like, no, 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 that is, that is half between what I wanted to pay and what you offered. So we'll go there. Uh, and because of that, for the same reason, uh, they have stayed, we have stayed in contact, but yeah, you, if you undervalue yourself, you're either going to look like, you don't trust yourself or you're not worth the money. If, if there's that weird study that they did where like the higher price something is, the more value people associate it with it. Mm-hmm. So if you undervalue your services, like I did at 50 bucks, it comes off like, Oh, this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. Where if I charged a hundred bucks a session, maybe I come off like I know what I'm doing. It's the idea of like buying the budget option versus the, mm-hmm. what people think is a higher end or, whatever else well, option is that, is yeah. that kind of what that I'm assuming what that study kind of ties back to, but yep. um, for me, the first couple of patients, it's been hard, you know, I, to come across as just my patients don't see me in the background going, okay, I have to say this price and say it confidently. Mm-hmm. And this is what my rate is so that it's not wishy-washy. It's just what it is. And, um, and I've learned that if I just say that they say, okay, and that's it because that's the cost um and so they budget for it and we get everything set up and we go and if it's not then um they sometimes go with another option or go through insurance and end up coming back to private um i've seen that happen as well so i think the biggest thing is is do your figuring out not in front of the potential client um so make sure that you have a price point to go with because a year into practice, you can always raise that price point, you know, do an annual increase or something like that. But um, make sure that you're coming out confidently with what your, what your price point is. Matt wants to go to Disney price increase uh, every March. Oh yeah. Is that the, uh, <laughs> what is the Disney price? Is that when they do their price increase? No, that's just when I want to go to Disney is every spring break. So that's just oh. when I'll start to raise my prices. <laughs> the holiday trips. Yes. You know what though? I mean, like I have like a couple individual 
private patients, but like, this is why I could never own a private practice. I am not confident enough to tell someone my price because I'm always worried they're going to negotiate. But I feel like if you had a practice and you had how many clients coming in and mm, patients coming good. in, it, you would have a printed price list and be like, here's our price list. And it wouldn't that's even true. be a, I would love a boutique SLP job. Yeah. Like just on retainer. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Does you need to go into corporate that? speech therapy then. Ooh. I had a professor that did that up in yeah, uh... the, the gentleman I interviewed. Oh yeah, um, that's right. You did too. Does. Yeah. He, he hmm. worked with corporate speech pathology, the C-SPAN, the corporate speech pathology association. Well, you can also go to an affluent area and charge uh, for like social skills, not take insurance at all. It's, it's very common. Fascinating. I, you know what? I like <laughs> my retirement too much. No, I like my <laughs> retirement too much, but I do not love being paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> I hope yeah. that answers. Also, I realized I may have mispronounced her name. It's J-A-Y-L-E-N. So Jalen, Jaylene. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Speech science podcast at gmail.com. Moving from due process to rehashing a topic we brought up a couple weeks ago. Uh, remember the article we read or the, the research we read that it said it was 17, was it 17 years from research to practice? Do you I guys remember so. that article? Yes, I think what it was, was 17. I, I know it was over a decade. I just don't remember. Yeah, I, I forget if it was 14 or 17, but I'm basically 17. Yeah, it's basically 17 years from research saying this works till it makes it into practice. And on the Journal of Speech, Language, and Hearing Research, uh, Helen Long, Lee Drown, and Miriam L. Amen uh, wrote an uh, article up on the effect of open access on scholar scholarly and societal metrics of impact in the ASHA journals. And guess what? The what? more access we have to articles, the more articles we're going to read. So, you know, what's really ironic about this is I'm clicking on the article right now and I have no access <laughs> to read this article about. That's what I was going to say. You got to log access. in and pay for it to read the article on open access. Let me refresh. No, still no access. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I would be much more informed if I had access, so I totally get the results. <laughs> I thought I was able to open it earlier, and now mine won't open. Yeah, you got to re-log in. This is something with the uh, issue on Ash's website, where like it just logs itself out. It does, even if you say, stay signed in. But, interesting, Ash's got an open science form. For their free journal use, I guess. Open Science Framework Wiki. So I guess you can post or you can check to have articles posted there. But anywho, so this article says that the more you have access to it, the more you're going to read it. Marie was really good about that, like requesting mm -hmm. access yes. to articles when they are behind a paywall or behind some kind of lock. Um, but it makes sense. Especially well, that's because she we worked have... for uh, Meredith, Dr. Meredith Harold, and uh, they are the queens of trying to get information for free. So, yeah, but I mean, 
I agree though. If I'm trying mm-hmm. to look something up and that's I'm Googling, I'm looking on Asha, I'm looking anywhere else. And I'm going to click through to read the articles that don't have a paywall. And so this if you're is, trying to get information out, that's the way to do it. And I, I, sorry, go ahead, Rachel. I was just going to say, this is an ongoing argument in academic communities, not just speech. Yeah. Um, and thankfully there are um, companies like the ones you just mentioned that are trying to help give out the information to us and read it because we don't have access to it. And with our fields of people being paid pretty low wages, I can't just spend $25 on an article. Just and I know there are, right, there yeah. are ways around it. Like I've seen X uh, on TikTok that say, oh, just message the, the, um, the author. And I'm like, well, if I'm trying to write a research article or, or just do something fast, like if I'm trying to find an article for this podcast, I'm not going to reach out to the, right. the author um, and say, hey, I need this ASAP, <laughs> give me access or send it to me. But a lot of authors are very helpful with it, but it, it's a concern in the academic community in general that it, it's pretty expensive to find the most up-to-date research. And that's unfortunate. You know, I'll give a a quick shout out to one of our professors from Ohio University, Dr. John McCarthy, because I worked in his research lab and he was all about the open source stuff. And that was honestly in grad school the first time I, there was minimal in undergrad. I feel like that I learned about open source access, but um, where he was pushing open source just for within our research lab too, of when we were using something equivalent to Photoshop, we would use GIMP if you've heard of that one, which is a free access um, open access platform that, um, doesn't do everything Photoshop does, but you can do a lot of, um, you know, editing through, through that, for example, but I don't shout remember, out to Dr. McCarthy. that's awesome. I don't remember when I took like research methods in undergrad and grad school, I don't remember ever learning about like how to access articles for free. Hmm. And yeah. I, I, I truly don't, maybe we did, but I don't remember that. And I know that would have been a concern for me because I wasn't shelling out the money on these articles. I would try to do Google scholar and see which ones were free that I could, um, find and uh, get I, an abstract for it. So at least you can get yes, some kind of exactly. Yes. You know, I mean, this is one of the reasons I love the informed SLP because mm-hmm. I don't have time to go and find articles to read I will pay Meredith Harold's team to read them, break them down, and then write up or you record know, one page summary. One that page is, summary. yeah. Uh, so fantastic. this article says that they found uh, a previous uh, research found that open access articles had eighty nine percent more full text downloads and forty two percent more PDF downloads than subscription based access to articles. This doesn't surprise me at all. No, not at all. I, uh, they, but that they alone, looked at 3, I feel like thirty four hundred should... articles on Asha. Sorry, Michelle. No, I just I I love that this exists so that mm-hmm. we can look at this data and our friends who work in the research fields can can push for this too and try to put it out on platforms that are because I know you want to get it published different places, but how I do think we need the academic speech pathologists, the people in academic jobs, to help push for this too. Um, because that's how we can get this information into clinical practice, hopefully sooner than 17 years later. True. They do say, though, that the study found that fully open licensed CSD research receives more scientific attention as well as the online attention. So they get more uh, citations in 
future journals. That makes yeah, absolutely so much sense. Right. Who yes. is doing those citations? The grad Poor assistant grad and the TA <laughs> who is working there two hours or eight hours or 12 hours or maybe 20 hours a week max that they're working in. I mean, they end up working more than that, but what they're paid for um, and, and they're trying to help write and summarize and you know what, like reviews on, you know what on. having research behind a locked paywall makes me think what? It's not good research. So this goes to there is a certain function uh, facilitated communication system that has research, but you can only access the research if you pay to take their classes and get their research. So anytime that there's research that's locked that you cannot get for free, and I'm not talking about like through companies, but like just in general, I always become more hesitant of it because if it is like game changing, it should be available, which, you know, by emailing the authors, then you can get it. But if you can't do that, that's when I become more hesitant you know, of the of the validity. Your your logic here is making me think of how I feel about MLMs, like multi-level marketing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, if your product is so wonderful, then why is it not accessible outside of this one stream? I, yeah, for me, point. it this whole thing comes down to like classism in a way. So I Ooh, think of like yeah. neuro sci scientists, neurosurgeons or whatever, who are publishing their data and they laugh at like a thousand dollars. And <laughs> over here, like they, they're able to just, you know, how do they laugh again? Ha, ha. <laughs> and, and I'm making hand movements for those of you that can't see, but yeah, I, I think it comes down to like some of those big paying jobs can put their, very valid research behind a paywall and it's not going to make an ounce of difference but for us mm -hmm. who are trying to I, I mean i'm not working over the summer and that's not a financial good decision for me i'm not going to be paying to read research articles that come out in communication disorders that are going to cost me money i'm going to look for the free ones and i think the grad students are in the same position and maybe those in law school or, or these other fields that are expecting to make a lot of money aren't having the same barriers that we are. So I think it comes down to a kind of classism aspect. Yeah, that's fair. I've got a grad student in the fall and they do not know it yet, but I've already decided before reading this that we are going to have article discussion Thursdays. You're you know, I just thought of... I, article discussion Thursday. I love that. But mm -hmm. me thinking of I, every now and again, we'll see a post about, oh, um, do you get your CF a gift or anything? And some oh. people do. What if you could get them something that is like the informed SLP? That's, oh, that's, a, that's great a great gift. idea. That's a great gift. That's awesome. Also, I just thought of something. We should implement uh, article Thursday, open article Thursday or Friday in the Discord. Yeah, sure. we could post it on our other like a book too. club. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna get on that into the Discord. I'll post Rachel, it on the Insta. I was gonna say, please, please do the socials. The socials. Hit us up, speech science podcast at gmail.com or speech science podcast.com. Do you guys ever feel that you're just marching towards eight, like being old? Yep. Yep. I just thought about Every that when day. I said, hit me up, hit us up. That is such what I said when I was 14, and now I'm 37. And I can't believe it's that. probably coming back in trend. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Dial those digits. Ring me up.
the other article. We're going to look at another survey article, Modified Barium Swallow Study and Esophageal Screening, a survey of clinical practice patterns. Where's Steph- Marie when we need her? Marie! <laughs> uh, by Stephanie Watts, Jay Gaziano, Ambuj Kumar, and Joel Richer. Uh, one of the things that, the reason I picked this is that when I've been doing uh, when I've been ordering modified barium swallows for my patients, uh, I've been asking them to follow it down till it empties into the stomach all the way through the esophagus. And I was not part of the survey, but evidently 265 people responded and only 12% followed to the proximal, proximal esophagus, esophagus, 15% to mid, 66% to the lower, and 6% uh to different to varied levels i mean doesn't it come down to the radiologist who's the one putting on the camera during an mbs um i i think it kind of depends on the radiologist and your relationship with them right so i i can only pull from i'm just blaming you rachel i'm sorry thank you no 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 i i'm (laughs) trying to pull from my medical knowledge of this and my final semester of grad school i was in an acute care hospital a very large hospital and the radiologist was different every hour you know Mm -hmm. they had Mm -hmm. many different rooms and i swear i never met the same one in my six months of working there And I remember some of them being so much tougher that it was like, nope, Mm -hmm. I'm turning the camera off now. So I, I, it seems like they interviewed speech pathologists for this, but I think a lot of times it does come down to the radiologist that says, I will only do this. And I'm the professional. I, I know best. And I don't know. Well, I like how you're putting that in your, in your request, Matt, because that's, I I think it's going to help everybody if we can have a very clear you know the, but the person who's doing the referral and mm-hmm. the request is saying this is what i need to see it's going to make the acute care slp or whoever's yeah. doing that that evaluation and only sees them for that evaluation much more directed only three and a half percent of people in the survey disagreed that esophageal visual visual uh, viewing the esophagus should be performed during the modified barium swallow I have always done it because I like to see how it's done, how it's emptying into the stomach. Uh, I've had a couple of patients that have had other issues happening down below in the esophagus that caused backup above the UES that then caused coughing or aspiration or penetration. Like it, the article talks about how swallowing is a multimodality thing, how it's a full uh, from from food entering at the mouth and emptying into the stomach. I can't tell you how many times I'll get a referral for dysphagia. And then when we do the MBS, it's not from the UES up. It is from UES down. And there is stuff that I cannot do. I can give diet recommendations, mm-hmm, right. but I cannot make- but You're going to see a gastro for that. Yep, yes. That exactly. is a lower GI issue at that point. Right. So I think when, when it comes down to ordering something like that, Mm -hmm. they say, okay, we we're looking in this specific area. So then I understand why some speech pathologists or radiologists that say, oh, I want to see a little bit more, but with all the constraints of insurance and everything, I can imagine why certain 
medical professionals want to stick to a certain area and say, oh no, that's for GI to determine if we need to go and look at this other area. Like, I don't know. I think that the medical field has become very, I, I need to do this because insurance has me yeah. in this area and I can't move beyond that. If you want to know what happens on the lower area, you need to put in another order, another request for something else. Yeah, that does happen with the uh, segmented services when it comes to right. medical. I think the um, the other piece to this article too was talking about the differences in definitions and inconsistency in what um, you know what we call looking at the visualizing the esophagus mm-hmm. uh, because what does that mean to every SLP who's doing an MBS? Yeah, that's a good uh, point. Does that mean looking at it all the way through to when it empties into the stomach or not? And, um, and I, I think that's what I took away from this is we need to, uh, hopefully look further yes. into, um, what does esophageal visualization? Thank you. Visualization. Mean? So I'm going to give a shout out to Midwest dysphagia consultants. They're the folks that I use for most of my modified barium swallows, uh, mainly because in home health, they'll drive to them and they have this awesome van where they'll do the, the MBS in the van outside the patient's house. Yeah. Uh, but on their form, it literally says, uh, because like what I do is I fill out the form and then I send it to them and then they contact the doctor, they get insurance approval, they do all the all the hard work for me. But it literally says, uh, check here for all of the below conditions or write in what you would like to see. And the bo- the check below is esophageal scan approximation. Uh, or scan approximately 30% of patients have asymptomatic esophageal dysphagia. Uh, And then of course they talk about everything else they do. So. Yeah. Well, and then also the definition part, I'm just thinking Mm -hmm. back to more of the article, um, how there's variation and this is going to happen everywhere in our our field. I get it, but variation in what was used nomenclature wise volumes Mm -hmm. administered contrast type used, all of those things had variations from the 265 people who responded. It's almost like we need a standard of care for MBSs. Yeah, I do. Right? And I, I mean, this ties into with the consistencies of food that finally there's been something laid out to have some sort of standardization with mm-hmm. that. Um, but that's been in the last, what, five years? Yeah, the ISS mm-hmm. thing. Well, I mean, because like, Rachel, you could send me a student and fill out the self or the castle, and I'd know exactly what you did. Michelle, you could send me a student with the expressive or the receptive one-word picture vocab or the Peabody, or not the Peabody. What is the uh, preschool one? PLS. Yeah, thank you. The PLS. And I know exactly what you did with the kids. But if you tell me that you did a bedside swallow study or you looked at the MBS and there was no aspiration... I have no idea what you did. Patient cons. So what? I was going to say, if it says patient consumed thin liquids from a cup, Mm -hmm. how much, how many consecutive swallows there is? I mean, it's all up to how much you write. And uh, that sigh is just me giving up, I guess. No, I I remember working in the hospital system that they had like the radiologist had a form for each um, procedure that was being done. So you would go and you would take out the MBS one and then you would just like check off the boxes of like thin, Mm -hmm. honey, 
nectar with, and then you would put the amount next to it and all it was it was yeah. similar but also it's human error as well like each slp that goes in could do things different or the radiologist i mean radiologists are supposed to read it a certain way but i think also interpretations tend to differ um especially with penetration and and uh, you know it's confusing that's why i don't work in the hospital head to our website speech speech science podcast.com speech science podcast at gmail.com do you do any esophageal visualization hey i said it uh during your mbs our last article is uh Dealing with what are teachers talking about when we are not in the room? Are they talking about us behind our back? A survey of SOPs and teacher perceptions of collaborative service delivery. Uh, no, no surprise here. Uh, both SLPs and teachers said collaboration is great. However, on the flip side, uh, more SLPs said that teachers were their equal peers, while the teachers did not say the same about SLPs. Womp womp. That's very interesting. And <laughs> I, I'm, I made a joke a few years ago on Instagram about like teacher planning week, right? That the entire school year, SLPs are like, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a teacher. And then teacher, uh, teacher appreciation week. It's like free coffee for pizza party for <laughs> teachers. They're like, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. And um, I think the comparison to teachers is the reason why in many school districts um, we are put on teacher salary. And then mm -hmm. you have certain aspects that we're like, but we're not teachers. You know, we have to have these credentials and we have to do this. So like the comparisons help in certain ways, but they also hold us back in certain ways because teachers aren't viewed in the best light in many places in our country. They're not paid appropriately. So um, I, I think our job has similar things. Um, but I can imagine that teacher's biggest complaint with us is we have a group of five, six, seven, eight, possibly in a school. I've seen that before. And they're like, I've got 62 kids in my art class mm -hmm. at once. So I can see that divide because that is probably the most stressful part of their profession or their their caseload, essentially, is how many students are there at once. And we're complaining about having eight kids in a group. Mm -hmm. What was interesting with the article is where it says that I was trying to make sure I understood it is that teachers rated their experience with collaboration mm -hmm. more positively than the SLPs do, but that teachers were not as likely to identify SLPs as collaborative partners when compared mm -hmm. with how the SLP reported that the teacher as a collaborative partner. Um, and then also teachers and SLPs reported similar barriers to collaborative service um and slps identified roles and responsibilities and training on collaboration as barriers um more than teachers did well, and, and that's interesting so it's it's what you're saying rachel identifying roles right and and i feel like having worked in a school that i had to be more the one to initiate that collaboration mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because i'm the one walking into their classroom yeah, they yeah. don't have a need to come walk into my room usually and i think that's one reason why oh, good the, point. i never the, thought of that i'm so the sorry push, the push in models right i it 
I think a lot of teachers have a problem with pushing because Mm -hmm. they don't want the oversight of another adult. They just feel like they're being watched in a way or they're going to be corrected. And I've been there that, that teachers are saying, no, like we're doing pull out only like you take them to your room because you're the professional in that domain. And I'm the professional here. Then you have some teachers that welcome the assistance um, and they work together and, and are collaborative. But from a teacher perspective, I see that SLPs, disrupt their teaching, disrupt their plan when SLPs aren't as affected by the teacher schedule, except for the beginning of the year that you're trying to make these ridiculous <laughs> schedules. And it's like, oh, this teacher says music is more more important and we have to pull from this specific class. And there's all these barriers that I think I, I understand why this is that teachers don't necessarily view us as collaborators. And I think there's a lot of times that SLPs can dig a hole for themselves Mm -hmm. when they're like, we're not teachers. We have our masters. We have, uh, you know, all these positive things about our profession that teachers don't have. So I I get this I've worked with a couple of teachers that I've had some wonderful, great push-in sessions with. And then some that are just terrible off the rails and, and kind, and I don't want to belabor the point too much, but yeah, it really comes down to what does the teacher expect when we come into the room? Do they expect us to tattle on them? Mm -hmm. You know, like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're not using devices down here. Mm -hmm. Is it that they expect us to take over so they can get an extra break that day? Is it that they expect us to be an EA? I think, or, or a paraprofessional or whatever your district calls calls the the aides in the room. I think that is where you have to have the complete trust of your teacher and the teacher has to have the complete trust with you. And you're not going to get that in the first year, no matter how good you are, how good they are. It's also a trust thing. You have to build and you have to, uh, to, to build that up as you go. Totally. Yeah. I, I think it comes from building relationships and Ooh, yeah, uh, I know I say this every episode, it comes down to building relationships and individuals. And there are some teachers that are just not going to want you in the room with them. And uh, that makes sense. And hopefully if you build a relationship and show that you're someone who could be trusted, and that also comes down to the schools itself, having like a culture of fear in a lot of ways. Um, I know that observations are a very touchy subject, you know, mm-hmm. that you have a principal or assistant principal or someone going in who is not an SLP judging them based on how they're doing teachers SLPs need to understand that of teachers that we are not above them we're collaborators we are working for the same goal of the benefit of the students and um it comes down to the relationship of yep. you building trust with them that you are not there to tattle on them you are not there to command the room or tell them that they're doing something wrong you are there to support i built my relationships this year with uh my two of my teachers by just going down to have lunch with them that's that. Uh, I that's mean, the time it, that you do it is when it's, it's not a stressful silly, environment. Right? I know it means giving up you know, that precious lunch time, right? Um, but you're right. That's when you build connection with people. Yep. And then it turned into happy hours after work, which then I could turn into, hey, I need to do this with your group on Friday. And then it turned into, hey, let me come with you to the zoo. Like that's how you build it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a funny story about observations, and then we'll go to break. Uh. My principal came in to watch one of my evaluation or observe one of my sessions with my social communication group. And we were discussing what you can and cannot say to crushes. And one of my students 
volunteered that you should not walk up behind your crush and ask him if they want to see your Oh, boy. <laughs> and my principal looked at me and went, well, that's all I needed to hear today. You've got this, Mr. Hot. And he stood up and he walked, walked out. out. He was like, I'm out. He's like, Enter. you can handle that one. Uh, SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. On the flip side of the break, we've got What's Up, Asha? And then we are landing this puppy. You're listening to Speed Science. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speed Science, episode number 175. I'm Matt Hot. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Matt. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Uh, normally, this is where I ask some off-the-wall question, but Rachel, uh, you want to take this in a little bit more of a serious direction right now? Yes, please. So I would like to do another shout out uh, to Mindy Mahana, who was an SLP who passed away uh, this past week, who was a legend in Broward County, Florida. Also, I'm sure South Florida in general. Um, I attended the funeral on Monday morning or Sunday morning, and it was a bunch of SLPs who just talked about how much they learned from Mindy um, she was an SLP in the zone meetings that I went to. So my district would get together quarterly and her elementary school kids fed into the middle school who fed into the high school. So we would know these students from start to finish. <laughs> um, she was really supportive of me during everything that happened at MSD. And uh, she's just a legend in the community. And uh, I wanted to give out a, sh a shout out to her, a shout out to the students that she had that she passed on to me in high school. And she did an incredible job and um, just wanted to say thank you for everything that you've done. That's awesome. Thanks uh, for sharing with us. Thanks for sharing. That is like the uh, the coach's tree in sports, but the the SLP tree of Mindy. That's pretty cool. Thanks. At this point, we always look at what is happening at ASHA, either the good, the bad, the ugly, and we say, What up, what Asha? Asha? What up, Asha? It's, what is it? Is ASHA Connect? Is that what we're, is that Asha what it's Connect. called? ASHA Connect. Yeah, ASHA Aren't Connect. Aren't you like presenting or something about that? Is that why I we're am. doing it? 
it's not why we're doing it, but I'm just letting <laughs> everyone know. Um, ASHA Connect is coming up, I think, July 12th through the 15th. It's in Long Beach, California. And um, it's a school-based conference, which I had no idea existed. Mm -hmm. I guess during COVID, they shut down completely. Um, and they did a virtual version. Version This year, they're coming back in person and still having a virtual version of the conference after. So you can attend in person, you can attend virtually, or you could attend both. So it's another option for CEUs and for those of you that are in the schools looking for school-based issues. I'm presenting on trauma-informed care as always, but there's a lot I'm so excited to learn about there. And uh, I've never been to the West Coast, so I'm excited to be in Ooh. California as well. Will you get to have a, a day or two on front or back end to, to explore a bit? I'm going to make myself um, <laughs> because I, when I go to conferences, I go hard, like the whole, yes. mm -hmm. every single day I don't leave and I'm not going to go cross country to sit in the hotel or sit in the um, convention hall. I have a couple friends that live there and my cousin, Matt, who lives in San Diego, I think is driving down to see me or driving up. I don't know what direction. Where <laughs> is it located in California? Uh, Long Beach. Okay. Yeah. So I think. Not. I think he's driving down, but he's gonna uh, come see me. So I'm excited to do that. And I also have a red eye uh, Saturday night. So I have tons of time to relax on Saturday. I have cousins in Long Beach too. There you go. It's awesome. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that, but I'm looking at this workload boot camp, and I love this whole idea. What is it? Uh, the workload boot camp is. Uh, they say they will follow along, uh, let's see, utilizing eligibility and dismissal criteria. I'm sorry, maximizing varied service delivery, uh, using the ASHA workload calculator and effectively communicating with admin about your workload demands. That And that is a pre-workout, a pre-conference. Well, I will take lots of notes and relay things back. Um, I'm excited to learn about more school-based issues. July 13th through 15th at Long Beach and July 26th through August 7th online. I'm going to do the online person. Me too. Cool. Because I can't get off in time to go to California, Rachel. No, we've got a couple days, dude. No. <laughs> as, we, as we end the show, I was going to say, as we land the show here at the end, uh, what is one thing you are looking forward to in the next couple of weeks that is not speech related? I will start... I volunteered to coach my son's U10 soccer team because I got fed up with the coach last season. So I put my mouth or my money where my mouth was. And I said, <laughs> I bet I could do this better. So we're about to find out uh, here in August. So I'm going to be taking some coaching seminars for soccer. Well, good luck. But I didn't know that they offer coaching seminars for just like little Thanks. soccer yeah, yeah well i mean i'm gonna take real <laughs> soccer coaching and then we're gonna ted lasso this thing <laughs> oh have fun gosh i missed ted lasso already <laughs> me too me too uh, i'll just need to go rewatch it um my big excitement of course is getting to know this new animal we added to our family mm -hmm. uh, but the other really great thing is uh, continuing to celebrate our new five-year-old with a little birthday gathering at a local pizza place this weekend um, that has a trail like I feel like for people who have kids a place like this it has a courtyard and a playground in it Ooh, so that you can hang out there as a whole family and everyone's contained 
it's great love it um so we'll be there and then my parents actually drove in from ohio they got in a couple days ago and the kids and i did not know they were coming only my husband did so it was a big surprise oh that's awesome what about you miss rachel what are you looking forward to well, I'm excited for the trip coming up in yeah, a right. couple days. And um, the end of July, I'm going to Texas to see my brothers in Dallas. And I'm seeing my favorite band. So July is a travel Greta Van Fleet. month. Greta Van Fleet. I'm I so excited. There you go. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this month, but I'm also dreading every single day. I'm like, oh, one, one step closer to the start of the school year. <laughs> then. I, need, I need to not do that, but it's just the reality. Aww. Well, if you are listening at this point, we want to make sure that you are also looking forward to something exciting. So put that excitement in your review on Asha. Get us some more Asha reviews, and or not Asha. Wow, iTunes. iTunes review and uh, share this podcast with two of your friends and tell them how much you love the crosstalk. That's what I ask. Sounds good. Our, our intro music is Please Listen Carefully by Jazard's License Under an Attribution and Share Alike License. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock. Copyrighted John Deku. Find all of his music at soundcloud.com slash music. And the closing music is Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. License Under Creative Commons Attribution License. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong until the storm. The willow will return to form. For fellow Willows, Michelle and Rachel, I'm Matt. Until next time, so long, everybody. See ya. See you next time. Woo, that was a good show. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.